0: <laughs> this Salvation Army choir looked good this morning, didn't they? All dressed up in white, I tell you, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Brother Aaron is kind of like, Proverbs talks about a nagging wife, like a dripping faucet. <laughs> Have y'all, <laughs> amen? He, he knows just the right buttons to push. Get me cranked up and fired up, amen? What a tremendous, tremendous worship service this morning. Praise the Lord, amen. We're in Ezra, chapter 10. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for joining online with us. Remember also in prayer for many of those, uh, God blessed us in this area last night. Storms went further south, but Mount Enterprise and Gary and up south of Carthage and on over to Panola County, uh, some folk lost their lives and homes destroyed. Remember them uh, as as we go through today. Today, Ezra chapter 10, April 2003, a mountaineer by the name of Aaron Ralston went hiking up in Utah Canyonlands National Park, and while he was climbing there, he slipped and fell, and he knocked loose an 800-pound boulder, and it trapped and crushed his right hand and his wrist against the, the rock wall. Uh, he cried out for help, but there's nobody around. His cell phone had no reception, so it was useless. He began to chip away at parts of the boulder in an attempt to free himself and to keep warm at night. And He rationed his supplies. He had one liter of water, he had two burritos, and he had some chunks of chocolate. And over a five-day period, he rationed those out and uh, no water available. He, he kind of hallucinated. And he realized that he didn't tell anybody where he was going. He, not a soul knew that he had gone hiking. He was completely, nobody knew anything about him. So he knew he was destined just to, to die right there. He used his knowledge of torque and he, he fashioned a tourniquet from uh, his backpack and broke the bones in his arms and then he used the pocket knife to amputate the trapped arm there. He wrapped the stump in, in uh, uh, the, the, the backpack to keep from losing blood. And then he went down a 65-foot cliff and finally ran into a family that was hiking. And they notified the police, and a helicopter came and, and took him, uh, and he's okay. Uh, Desperate times require desperate measures. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's pretty desperate, guys. That's pretty desperate. When you come to Ezra, you find that it's pretty desperate. They're in a mess. They're in a mess. They had intermingled. They had married many pagan women. Their families were being raised worshiping other gods and idols and, and it's just a mess. And I want to just tell you, we're not far off from it here in America today. Uh, I was <laughs> thrilled this last couple of weeks. I only watched basketball two weeks out of the year, the NCAA tournament. And uh, I was thrilled that Oral Roberts University beat Ohio State. And if you're here from Ohio State, I'm sorry. But Oral Roberts beat you. And then not only did they beat Ohio State, they they come up and beat Florida. And then not only, let me tell you, they come this close yesterday to beating Arkansas. And being, I mean, in the final, I mean, it is close. Now, I said all that to say this. All week I've been watching articles of different people in the media and different people that are involved in sports. And you know what the vibe is around town? Oral Roberts should have never been allowed to play in the NCAA tournament. They hate lesbians. They hate homosexuals. They don't believe in transgenderism. They, uh, I mean, they, they just got a bunch of stuff. They're bad. They're bad. They're bad people. They're bad people. And I just remind you this morning, if they'll come after Oral Roberts, they'll come after us. Brother... As we walked out a while ago, uh, I can't think of your name now. Kathy Lou, Walter, Brother Walt. (laughs) Hello. Brother Walt told me on the way out. He said, you know, it's not cost us anything to be a Christian up this far. But that's going to change. That's going to change. It's going to cost us for the... To, to stand up for Jesus. Romans 15, 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we may through patience and comfort of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 10, 6, These things were our examples. To the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Now, folks, I just want to share with you this morning, you've got the freedom to make your choices. You can make choices. You've got the freedom to make those choices. But you don't have the freedom to determine what the consequences are going to be. You got the freedom to come out here this afternoon. I'll help you. We'll get you up on top of this 26-foot high building out here. And you got the freedom to jump off. But you don't have any freedom for the consequences of gravity. You're going down. You're going down. You can walk right out here on this loop pretty well any time of the day or night you want to and you can walk out in front of an 18-wheeler. You got the choice to do that. But you don't have the choice of the consequences when that thing hits you. I could just say, I hope it kills you. Because if it don't kill you, I mean, you know, we're getting old, I'm I'm to the place now where if something don't hurt, that means it don't work. So I'm kind of used to pain now, amen? I know I'm sharing that with some that know exactly what I'm talking about there. You, you can make your choices. In, in chapters 9 and chapters 10, as we close out Ezra, you find, first of all, there's a sin that is confronted. There's a confrontation. Now, folks, this, if you, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, and we looked at some of this last week, these things were done. The princes came, the Israelites and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land, and they say, we have sinned against God sin is confronted i want you to understand ezra didn't sweep it under the rug Ooh, there's a lot too much of sweeping sin under the rug today and i'm telling you you can't cure something that you can't admit that there's a problem if you can't admit there's a problem there's there's no reason to cure anything So sin is confronted here. God has established a standard of behavior for his children. Leviticus 11.44, be ye holy even as I am holy. Now that word holy doesn't mean to be uh, odd or unusual or stick in the mud. Could I just tell you, and those of you listening by internet today, stop being a nut for Jesus. That's not what he says. When he says that we're to be different, he's talking about... Uh, that we we're different, that we're special, that we're God's anointed, that we're called of God. It means we're called to a higher lifestyle. There ought to be a difference in the way you react at work and the way some lost person reacts at work. And if there's not a difference, something's wrong somewhere in your salvation experience. Brother Case has been going through First John on Sunday night, tremendous job. We just finished up with that. Love not the world in First John two fifteen, 15. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abides forever. That's the standard of separation. That's what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians when he said, wherefore, come out from among you and be you separate. He's not saying, I want you to be some snooty, holy roller Christian group. He's saying, I want your lifestyle to be different from that of the world. There ought to be a difference. So sin is confronted, all right? Secondly, there's conviction. They were assembled, verse 4 of chapter 9 says, Unto me, every one that trembleth at the word of the God of Israel. Wow, these people heard the word, and they saw Ezra praying, and they all gathered together. They're they're convicted. They had respect for the word of God. They had reverence for the word of God. They sought to be obedient to the word of God. Now, I want to say something here that I'm going to seem like old-fashioned, and that's all right. I don't mind being old-fashioned. I'm not going to apologize for that. But, guys, God convicted me of this because I depend on my iPad and I depend on my cell phone and all that. And that's wonderful. The Word of God is in there. But I want to tell you, bring God's Word with you. I mean, this is the Word of God. I mean, you know, hey, they trembled at the Word of God. They wasn't trembling over an iPad or a cell phone. They were trembling over the Word of God. This is important that we respect this Word and reverence this Word. Now, I know we got a lot of folk that are reading the Word of God. We've got Christians who study the Word of God. We've got some who put notes in their Bible margins. We've got some that will color-code it. It's pink or green or blue or yellow. We've got all that. We've got some that will defend the Word of God. But let me just ask you, when was the last time you saw anybody tremble at the Word of God? I'm talking about trembling at the Word of God. How does does conviction come over that? Well, you've got to be a great preacher and you're sure not one. No, it's not the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Could I tell you something, parents? You can't convict your children. You can't do that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And I'll just say while we're here too, there's some parents that are beating themselves up because maybe their kids took a wayward uh, road. Listen, quit beating yourself up. You didn't teach them to smoke dope. Some of you in here are godly people that your kids went off to the right. You pray for them that the Holy Ghost of God can convict them. He'll send people by there that they never dreamed possible. I'll get off of that. I won't, call, I won't charge you for that. We need to respect the Word of God and tremble at the word of god but not only is there sin confronted and not only is there conviction there's confession in chapter 10 verse 1 and 2 when ezra had prayed when he had confessed weeping and casting himself down before the house of god there assembled unto him out of israel a very great congregation of men women and children for the people were very sore and Shechaniah, the son of jehiel and one of the sons of elam answered and said unto Ezra, We have trespassed against God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Then down in verse 6, Ezra rose up from before the house of God, went into the chamber of Johanan, the son of Elishab, and when he came there, he did eat no bread nor drink water, for he mourned because of the transgression of them that had been carried away. What this means is Ezra's pouring out his heart to God. He's saying, oh God, he's confessing the sin and the sin of the nation. Now remember, Ezra's not involved in this. He's talking about his people. He is pouring himself out. He's grieved, he's burdened, he's broken about the sinful condition, and he casts himself down. There's a participle here, the, and it indicates literally that he is continually casting himself down. It's not a one-time, oh, Lord, we've messed up. Well, that's all right. Because, see, that's what we do. Amen? We say, America's in a mess. America's in a mess. Pass the biscuits. Huh? America's, man, we're going down the wrong road. It's in a mess. Put another pork chop on my plate, would you? See, we recognize it, but we're not going to do anything about it. We just sit and do nothing. These folks, began to confess. They were concerned about what was going on in the country, and they referred back to Deuteronomy 7. We read it last week. He said, Neither shalt thou make any marriages with them. Thy daughter shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Yeah, but Daddy, you don't know how good looking he is. Mama, she is out of this world. That's not the question. Why would God say that? Well, he explains it. Verse 4. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. Wow. A major congregation has gathered before Ezra here. And, And they were concerned about what was going on. And they were concerned that God is about to judge them. I want to tell you, don't throw rocks at me. I believe the Lord can come at any time. But I really kind of think that we maybe just a little bit ought to change our focus from the Lord coming to the judgment of God. We may ought to be a little bit more concerned about the fact that God may judge America. I'm looking for him to come. I pray he comes today. I've got a full day. I'm telling you, mm, all day long and night too. I'd love for him to come right now. Woo, we're gone. I drove up this morning. One of the work crews out here left a rake out here in the flower bed. And I saw that rake and I thought, woo, that's how it's going to be on the day when Jesus comes. There's going to be a lot of rakes running around and there's a lot of lawnmowers that are running without people operating them and cars on the loop. There's no drive. Can you imagine the airplane pilots who are taken out of those jets up there and when those things finally run out of gas, what that's going to be like? Conviction, but not only conviction, there has to be confession. Now listen, if there's confrontation, if there's conviction, And if there's confession, you say, well, praise the Lord, I've done all that, preacher. No, there's got to be some correction. See, let me tell you, it ain't enough just to admit I've sinned and and to be convicted by the Holy Spirit and to confess that sin. That's not enough. We've got to repent of that sin. We've got to turn from that sin. There's got to be some correction. Ezra prayed when he had confessed weeping and casting himself down verse 1 before the house of God there assembled out of him Israel a very great congregation for the people wept very sore I don't. Sunday school teacher <laughs> do you ever teach your lesson and then wonder did anybody hear anything I said I mean there are days when I walk off this platform here and thinking ain't nobody heard a thing I said not a thing I've said I mean, they just haven't heard it. What I want to tell you, Ezra didn't know what that was like. Because when Ezra said amen from praying, and he looked up, there's a giant congregation, and they're weeping. And they're saying, Ezra, we understand exactly what you've said. And we have sinned, we've trespassed against God, and incidentally, that's the greatest part of sin, not sinning against each other, but sinning against God. They said, we have sinned against God. We've trespassed. Let me tell you, they didn't get mad. They didn't bow up. They didn't say, we're going to move our letter. We're not going to hear preaching like that. The nerve of you. They bowed down. They went toward God and not away from God. Verse 2 says it. Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said, "Ezra, we've trespassed against our God. we've taken strange wives of the people of the land, yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Woo, Hallelujah, aren't you glad this morning that there's hope still in Jesus? I mean, if you came in here dry and thirsty, wore out, let me tell you, there's hope in Jesus. You got hope. You came in here this morning with a set of problems a mile long. I'm telling you, there's hope in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, I hope you sing that song all day long. I tell you, there's hope in Jesus. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. There's hope for us. The hope is that we get right with God. They first of all made a covenant with God. Verse 3, Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives, and such as born of them according to the counsel of my Lord. And of those that tremble at the commandment of our God, let it be done according to the law. And then they tell Ezra in verses 4 and 5, basically, you get along with God, and whatever God tells you for us to do, we're going to do it. The stamp is yes, Lord, Yes. Could we come in here this morning and say, yes, Lord, yes. Whatever you want me to do. I don't know what the Lord wants you to do. You may not even know what the Lord wants you to do. But when he shows you what he wants you to do, could you stand right now and say, yes, Lord, yes. I'll do it. I'll do it. That's what they did. They said, yes, Lord, yes. You you get along with God and and then you, you tell us what God wants us to do and we will do it. Now, they've already decided that they need to make these marriages right. We're talking about thousands, thousands of Jews that had married pagans. And so they've already decided. And I'll be honest in in counseling as a pastor. And I'm not sure from a professional counselor, they may get there early. But usually when somebody finally calls a preacher, they already know what they're going to do. They want somebody to say, okay, that's all right. Hmm? They already know what they want to do. These people are saying, we want it to be done according to the law, the Mosaic law that would protect the innocent and according to the Jewish law. Now, listen, I want to hasten to tell you something real quickly here. If you're not happy in your marriage and you're looking for a way to get out, Ezra 10 is not it. I just want you to understand that up front. That is not it. There are biblical exceptions for why you would get a divorce. There are. But you won't find that in Ezra 10. These people had sinned, and they had already married, and they were raising their children in pagan homes with pagan gods. Now, so God gets a plan together and we don't have time this morning to read it, but if you get home, verses 7 through 12 talks about the plan. They're going to set up a a justice center there, and people are coming in line, and uh, they're going to come before the courts, and and then the marriages are going to be dissolved, and they're going to put the widows away. They're going to put the uh, pagan wives away. Now, I don't know that this is true. I think it probably is. Uh, John MacArthur and several commentaries, several good commentaries, say that they believe. Uh, and, and 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 if you look here, uh, you you, you got to be careful because there's four guys that oppose this. They say, "Oh, wait a minute, we 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 uh, we we, we mm, mm, no no we're against this." Now listen, they're not opposed to putting the wives away. They're opposed to setting up a process to make it lawful. In other words, these are the four that when you're in Brookshire's with your grandson, Charlie, and he's throwing a fit, wanting a candy bar, hmm? and they don't say it out loud, but you can hear it mumbling under their breath. If I had that kid five minutes, I'd teach him a thing to two, Huh? Just give me five minutes of that kid. I'll teach him something. And you honestly, honestly, there's some days when you want to turn around and say, Listen, I won't get I'll bring him Friday afternoon. You can keep him all weekend. <laughs> you wanna straighten him out? You see, we have no idea what those people are going through. We have no idea what that mother faced before she came up to that grocery store or that grandparent faced. Maybe that grandparent has the kids because his son and daughter-in-law or daughter and son-in-law are all having problems and trying to... We we are too hasty to jump to conclusions. We hear something one time. Well, I know what I do. No, you don't. You don't. They hear all of this stuff they were against gathering the information. You know why they're against gathering information? Because they don't need it. Right is right and wrong is wrong. They're gone. That's it. That's it. Amen? There's some of y'all sitting here. You're not going to say amen because that's how you are. There's no mercy. I'm telling you right is right and wrong is wrong. And that's it. But MacArthur and several commentators say, THAT IN THIS PROCESS, THEY WOULD BRING THESE FAMILIES BEFORE THE JUSTICES HERE. AND THEY WOULD ASK THIS QUESTION TO THE PAGAN WIFE. WOULD YOU DENY ALL YOUR OTHER GODS AND IDOLS? AND WOULD YOU ACCEPT JEHOVAH AS THE ONLY GOD? Mm. NOW, IF THEY'RE RIGHT, AND I BELIEVE THEY'RE RIGHT, Because following in chapter 10, there are 114 names of families that ended up in divorce. Some of them said no. They ended up in divorce. But there were literally thousands when those pagan women said, oh, I've never been confronted with the Lord. Yes. Yes. I'll follow the Lord. I'll make Jehovah God. If that be true, This is the best case of evangelism anywhere in the Bible. That means more than 99% of those pagan wives got saved. Hmm? All because somebody said, we're not going to jump to a conclusion. We're going to work this thing out. We're going to sit down and we're going to share the Lord, share God. Hmm. Hmm. Folks, we need to be careful about jumping to conclusions. Start that video there. Which it's only three minutes here, but you won't understand the language, but you'll get the picture. i Here. está disastrous when we open our mouth before we open our heart don't jump to conclusions now let me tell you there's a good part to this after conviction after confession after correction there's a cleansing (laughs) 1st John 1 9 if we confess our sins He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman in Chicago. God got a hold of him before he became a great evangelist. He started a Sunday school for children, for kids. Had over a 1,000 people, a 1,000 kids in his Sunday school. One January day, this little boy comes into the Sunday school and he meets the greeter. It's been a windy day. If you ever been in Chicago in, in January with the wind blowing across the lake, let me tell you, it's cold. It's, it's like minus five here. It's cold, cold, cold. And he's frozen, and he's very thin. He's got on tattered pants and a very torn coat. He's got a little hat that hadn't kept his ears warm at all. They're solid red, and he's just frozen. He's shaking as he comes in. The greeter takes him and... And he, and he puts him over in a chair, and he begins to rub his legs to try to get some circulation going. And, and he said, son, where, where have you come from to go to Sunday school here today? And the little boy mentioned a place in town is about two miles away from them. And the greeter said, uh, son, you walk through all that freezing, rain, wind? Yes, sir. He said, that's a long way to walk for Sunday school. He said, there are a lot of other churches between here and there that you could have stopped at. He said, why would you come all the way over here to D.L. Moody's Sunday school class? And this is what he said. Because they know how to love a fellow over here. I pray to God that that'll be said of Woodland Hills. That we're not going to compromise the word of God, but oh God, help us to love like you love I, I don't have time this morning to go through I, I, I wish I did this is a tremendous sermon for husbands and wives marriages children people ask me sometimes and if you're here divorced let me just tell you you're not a second-class citizen there are biblical examples exceptions for divorce and if you got the one where there's not let me tell you, there's still Jesus. You can repent and, and you, can, you can walk in the Lord's. I'm just telling you that. Some of the most frequent advice I give to parents who've been divorced is this. Love your children more than you hate your ex. Because you see, the very last word in chapter 10 of Ezra is the word Children. They're the very ones who get hurt in the midst of all of this other stuff. My wife and I, if we lived in the town with my mama, we would probably, I would not be here today pastoring. My mama, God love her, I love her to death. I knew she was saved, there's no doubt, but she never knew when to keep her mouth shut. <laughs> never did. My wife put up with a whole lot. She put up with a whole lot and I'd say, mama, You don't have any business saying that. Well, that's just the way I am. And you know what I'd tell her? I'd say, Mama, that's okay if you haven't been to Calvary. But once you've been to Calvary, (laughs) there ought to be a change. There ought to be a change. Some of you mother in laws and father in laws, you, you just need to learn to keep your mouth shut. You need to let your kids be their own husband and wife. I'm just shooting straight with you this morning. I don't have time to go into all of it. I wish I did. I might anyway. (laughs) But I'm just telling you, as Christians, we've got to love. And we don't know what people are going through. We have no idea the grief that they may be feeling. We have no idea the bills that may be due. We have no idea that the people are fixing to cut off the electricity. We have no idea that kids have medical problems and, you know, and even in in the mental problems part, people say, you know, the number one, I think, mental problem, problem that people have ends up being over money. And then they tell us, you go to this high price psychiatrist and He'll charge you $200 an hour and you can get help. Well, you hadn't, if you had $200, you wouldn't be mad. <laughs> now, that's not always the case. I'm just telling you, let's be cautious. Let's, uh, let's love people into the kingdom of God. Those neighbors that are, hey, I, I know. We, we've been there. We've had neighbors that open their door and throw trash out and then it blow over in our yard. What are you going to do? Build a fence. Well, that's going to make them mad. No, it's going to increase their property value. You still got to love people. You got to love people wherever they are. Pray with me. Lord, how thankful we are that you still dole out grace. When we don't deserve it, you still love us. And Lord, today, Maybe there are families here that just need to come and kneel at this altar. Maybe there's some daddies that say, I need, to, I need to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Maybe there's some mamas that say, I need to respect and honor my husband. Maybe there's some parents that said, look, we've, we've not been right with our children, but we want to we be right. Maybe there are folk here today that need a church home. You want a home where the Life groups and Sunday school teaches the Word of God. It's not going to back down no matter what it costs us. Maybe today there are folks that have never trusted Jesus and need to be saved. And this morning, the Holy Spirit of God has brought conviction. And I would, Lord, just ask you to may your conviction be so strong that they could not say no. Would you have your way in this place today? all over this congregation in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?